There is an old story told about an old man who was put into prison because of his faith. He had lived long for the Lord and his faith was strong and nothing seemed to shake it. And one night they brought him his supper. It was of meager fare, bread and water only. And he looked at that, uh, that uh, meal for just a moment and then he looked at his uh, jailers and he said, What? All of this and Jesus Christ too? <laughs> and he promptly gave thanks to God and sat down and ate his meal. Doesn't that make your heart sing? <laughs> uh, Christ was his, and he was Christ, and nothing else could really matter. He could be grateful for even the smallest of things. And how different that is from what we all so often see around us. I mean, we live in the greatest country in the world. We have plenty to eat. We have homes to live in. We have clothes to wear, lots of clothes, cars to drive. We live in safety and comfort. We are entertained nearly to our ruin. We have greater freedom than any people in the history of the world before us, greater freedom and greater goods than even kings and queens of yesteryear. But you have to look hard to catch a glimpse of gratitude, even at this time of the year. Uh, and, and, and it's almost this insatiable desire for more that pushes itself further and further into this holiday. And although some stores are taking a stand against it, I'm glad they are. Black Friday now begins on Thursday, and maybe even sooner. I think I heard commercials saying that it's beginning on Monday or did begin or will begin tomorrow. But all of that seems to cover over Thanksgiving. It seems to smother it. The holiday has become almost exclusively about shopping, followed closely by turkey and football. (laughs) Now, many people, and not just Christians, uh, lament these changes. I mean, we know who we ought to give thanks to, but instinctively... I think all human beings seem to know that a grateful heart is uh, good for the soul, and a lack of one gives rise to meanness of spirit. Uh, We teach our children that, don't we, to be thankful? Uh, People know they ought to be thankful, at at least until they forget, or the desire for more erases it from their understanding. And sometimes people will say our wealth is the root of our problem. And they may even say a good dose of deprivation would go a long way to curing that ill. And maybe they'd be right to some extent. I, I, I don't know for sure. Doing it out may have some beneficial effects. But you know, we can't. You and I can't hope for that, though, can we? I mean, we don't want to find ourselves in the position of wishing bad things on people because they're ingrates. We aren't their judges. And God will do what is best. We ought to be seeking their good. But if deprivation comes, even then it's no guarantee that that's going to give them a thankful spirit, is it? Ingratitude might only be replaced with grumbling and complaining. And the truth is, we're going to see this next week when we return to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're stepping away from it this week because of Thanksgiving. But but it's possible to have great riches and still live out the faith if you walk with God. Now, I'm going to ask you to, if you would, forgive me, please. (laughs) If I sound to you like I'm complaining, 
I don't mean to, even if it's coming across that way. I mention this uh, not so I can kind of vent my frustrations that I may feel, and, and the truth of the matter is I, I think I more, feel more sadness than frustration anyway. But I bring this up because it is the Thanksgiving holiday, and I have always believed and tried to act on that belief that I should observe this holiday by sharing God's word on the topic. And and I think that you and I, and believers in general, can make a positive difference in this matter. You see, I think by our lives, we can show people the way. The text we're going to look at today tells us how we should live. And gratitude and thanksgiving is an important part of that. You know, Christians of all people should be thankful, shouldn't we? And, and if we are, if we, if we cultivate that thankful spirit in ourselves and in our children and in our church, we're going to shine a light on the dark places of our world, a light that others will see and they may follow. The text we're going to look at today is just three verses, 15 through 17, and each one of them contains the idea of thankfulness and they're found in the book of Colossians, chapter 3. And you can join me there in your Bibles if you wish right now. Uh, but the text will be displayed on the screen so you can follow along that way. In these verses, there's a progression going on. The Bible begins by addressing the individual Christian here. And then it moves on to speak to us and our dealings with one another. It, it uh, talks about things that happen within the church itself. And finally, the Bible instructs us when, uh, when it comes to our interaction with the world at large. So from the individual to the church and then to the outside of this room, right? So thankfulness plays an important part in all of that. And Jesus tells us that we are the salt and light of the world. We are a city on the hill which cannot be hidden. And what we do matters. And the first thing we do that matters in this text is that we are to walk in God's peace. And we see that in the beginning of verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We need to walk in or live in the peace that God provides. I want you to know that this is a commandment. The form of the verb in the Greek, is, is the language of the New Testament was written in, is interesting. Uh, we don't have an equivalent in uh, English. It's an imperative, it's a command, but it's spoken not in the second person, but in the third person. Uh, it doesn't say, you should do this. It says, he or she should do this. And the closest we can come, which doesn't sound... <laughs> very much like a commandment at all to our own ears is let the peace of Christ rule in you. To us, it, to us that sounds more like a piece of advice, doesn't it? But I don't want you to mistake it. I want you to understand this is a command. We are to let the peace of Christ rule in us. And yet, with says, with so many other things in our faith, this peace is not of us. That is, we don't manufacture it. It is the peace of Christ, which means, well, what does it mean? It means the peace that he gives, or the peace which belongs to him, or the peace that he himself has, or it means all of that because he knows the peace himself, and because it belongs to him, he can give it to us. 
And what we do is we, in a sense, we simply open the door and let it into our hearts and lives. And then once it's in, we've got to let it rule. We have to abdicate, right? Uh, before, we, before Christ came in, you know, we were our own kings. We had to relinquish a rule then to another, to Christ who gives us that peace. When we're in control, our reign is always marked by turmoil, but he offers to bring peace into our hearts and souls. We have to open the door. Now, now, maybe I make that sound a little too easy when I say that, right? Uh, simply open the door to your heart. Uh, it is simple in that it's not complicated, but in another way, it's hard. And it's hard even for us as Christians. Sometimes the door is very heavy. Occasionally, it's barricaded. Often, the hinges are rusted. So, in a sense, we kind of have to put our weight on that door to open it. And we're to do it because we've been commanded to do it. Yet, we don't have the strength in ourselves. And so, we call on God, and he supplies what we need. And once we allow him in, then we have to, we have to give him the scepter. You know, that symbol of rain. And, and maybe to do that, we have to kind of pry our own fingers off of it to hand it to him. And we can't do that in our own strength either. And so God comes alongside of us and helps us. The command is simple, but it's not always easy. But God is by our side to help us as we need it. Christ never leaves us, of course. But we can ignore him. We can lose that peace that he offers us. I, I had a boss a long time ago who said to me one time, it was a good-natured way, but he said to me, Dyson, do I have to retrain you after every coffee break? In reality, it's almost that bad with us, isn't it? Life goes on, and we look around only to discover that we've taken back the scepter. And we've closed the door on Christ's peace. We find that we have to repeat that process often, don't we? I'm not the only one, am I? You know what that's like, don't you? But God's faithful. And it does, it does get a little easier the more we do it. And do you know what helps uh, make it easier and makes it go more smoothly? Well, that's right. It, being thankful. <clears throat> that's part of the process. The end of verse 15 says this. We're going to come back to the middle in a moment. But after telling us to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, the Bible says, and be thankful. You see, gratitude not only makes it easier, it really is an essential part of knowing God's peace. And that's why the author adds it. Uh, it, it we see that same idea repeated in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and 6. When the Bible talks about Christ's peace, and this is what it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, oh, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then you can see the result <clears throat> of adding thanksgiving to your prayers in the next verse. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you know I practice this? I practice this. When I find myself in a place where I'm feeling anxious, when I'm concerned about something, when I'm worried about something, 
I, I come to God and, and I, and I want to present my request, but I always make sure I give thanks to him. And something happens when I do that. I begin to find that those things that make me anxious begin to kind of fade away, and I begin to realize that peace again. Now, I have to tell you, sometimes the things are persistent. Sometimes I will do that. I will pray. I'll give thanks, and I'll have that sense of peace. And, and a moment later, five minutes later, whatever it is, I feel that anxiety again, and as I repeat that process, but, but it works. It, it does. I mean, I mean, when we give thanks, the peace comes. That's God's design. And gratitude makes that door we're talking about, the one that lets the peace into our heart a little lighter. It breaks down the barricades. It oils the hinges. It makes the way <clears throat> for God to work in our, in our life. So be thankful <laughs> and let God's peace rule in you. And then that first step of progression is what we just talked about. And, and, and once we've done that, then the Bible turns from that command to the individual Christian to address the way that we interact with one another. And verse 15 was already beginning that transitioning there. The peace that should rule in our heart is intended to make a difference in the church too. So I want you to read the, that whole verse right now. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. That peace in me, that peace in you, that translates. When we live that, when it rules in our heart, it translates into the body of Christ, which is the church. But there's something more that's added in the next verse. And, and so we move from the individual to the corporate. Paul tells us, the Bible says, the truth of the gospel must fill us. It must fill the church. And so we read in the beginning of verse 16, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. See, the gospel needs to live deep down inside of us. That's the idea behind dwelling richly in us. We have the same Greek construction we had in verse 15. It's a commandment also. And, and it, it's something we didn't invent, right? Same things apply here as above. It's simple but not easy. And we end up doing it over and over again. And, of course, we did it for the first time, didn't we? When we first put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we responded to the good news, that's what the word gospel means, good news, the message we responded and Christ lived in us when our sins are forgiven and we pass from death to life. But what's being emphasized here is that that message of the gospel, it must always live deep down in our soul. In our gospel, that gospel is kind of a code of conduct. It's what we live by. It's what we're supposed to to live by. We, we might even call it a kind of our motto or our watchword or an axiom for life. So on Wednesday night at Awanas, I teach the cubbies, the three and four-year-olds, right? And, and uh, they have a motto, and the motto is, Jesus loves me. And we want them to know that. It's who they are. They are children that Jesus loves. And we are people who have been saved 
by grace. The good news that Jesus died and rose again to pay for our sins and give us eternal life. It's who we are. It's something we need to know. We need to remember. We need to live by. And we need to pass it on. Or maybe we can think of it in applying the terms of the golden rule. If we want to experience grace, we need to extend grace. The message of Christ needs to live deep down inside of us, changing us. You know, it's a sad truth and, and a comment on the deceitfulness of our sin that we can all too easily forget to extend that same grace we received to our brothers and sisters when they're in need of it. I know Christians whom I love, and it breaks my heart to say it, but they seem to major on or focus on the sins of others. Look, guys, if we're going to be honest, nobody has to dig too deep to locate our failures, do they? Don't we want people who see our failures to have that, that message, that sense of grace dwelling richly in them? And I'm not saying that, that sin needs to be ignored, and neither is the text. Verse 16, again, this time I'm going to read the whole thing. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish. You know that word admonish means to reprimand, to rebuke, to reprove, to take the task, to chastise, all the kinds of you do, things you do in response to sin. But we do it with a message of grace living inside of us. And so we teach and admonish one another uh, with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And that thing does not come when your heart is full of condemnation. The song in us comes from the grace in us. When, when we remember the message of grace... Our interaction with other believers, um, even when they sin, tends to be full of grace. And, and did you notice, I think you probably did, that the message of Christ lives in us along with the gratitude which ought to be in us? M maybe that gratitude, maybe it drives out the ugly stuff that would be in our hearts otherwise so the gospel can fill it. Thankfulness is a must if Christ's peace is to dwell in us, and it's also a necessary ingredient if the truth of the gospel is to fill us. And that brings us to the final progression in this passage, which, although it may not be immediately apparent, speaks about our interaction with the world at large. You see, you and I are to live out our whole lives representing Jesus Christ. Verse 17 puts it this way, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And that phrase, whatever you do, has expanded the scope of this instruction beyond the individual and beyond the church to the way we live all of life in this world. And I think this instruction is put right in the right spot in the text. Because if we're to have a positive impact on our world, we need to have our own hearts right. For the world's hostile to our faith, and the evil one is always on the prowl, and yet people are in darkness. 
and we have what they need, though they may not know it. And we need to be a part of a church uh, where we can have our own cups filled when we come here so we have something to offer others to those on the outside. We come here, we find refreshment and encouragement ourselves. We hear a specific word from God meant for this time, this place, this people. And all of that is meant to prepare us for this part of who we are. We are those who do everything in the name of Jesus Christ which means we represent him to the world. We represent him everywhere we go. Now, a lot of us guys, uh, and it really is part of our nature, um, you know, we were made to achieve, which isn't a bad thing in itself, though sin is twisted in us. But, but some of the ways that we as men try to achieve, if you think about it, are maybe a little bizarre, <laughs> Uh, but we don't usually think about it, so it's okay, we just do it, right? Take driving for an example. Ann and I are on a trip. I'm motoring along, passing all those people who evidently don't have any place to go. <laughs> but I do, and I need to get there because time's a wasting. And all the while I'm driving, I'm wondering how many minutes can I trim off the GPS? And then we have to stop for gas, and I try to do that as quickly as possible so we can get back on the road. And we even go to the bathroom in shifts while the, the gas tank is filling. And once back on the road, like, geez, all of those, so many of those people I had already passed through, they're back in front of me again, right? So I have to get back to work and pass them again. <laughs> Time's a waste, and I've got places to go. Now, I have to tell you, just about every guy in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about, and they're sympathetic. And many of you ladies, if not most of you, are sitting there right now thinking, my gosh, even the pastor? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, even the pastor. <laughs> I'm not so bad, I, I guess. Ann might disagree with that, but I know some guys who won't put a fish symbol on their car because of the way they drive. Uh <laughs> Well, it just would be best if they didn't. The truth is, though, you know, whether you have that symbol on your car or not, you do represent Jesus Christ. We do, even when we're driving. It was on a beautiful summer day on the outskirts of Wilmington and sitting in a double line of traffic waiting at the light, and I looked over at the car next to me, and there was George, one of the godliest men I've ever known. He loved Jesus, and he loved the people of God. He loved the lost. He was a kind of pillar in our church. And I was going to tap my horn to get his attention and wave when the light changed. And the transformation that came over George was as astounding as it was surprising to me. He sat on his horn, his face turned red, and he started yelling at the cars in front of him to get out of the way. And I mean, the light had just changed. And I could hear him in my own car while we sat there in that traffic. And then the cars began pulling away, and I never did tap my horn, and he never looked my way. And maybe it would have been good for him if we had made contact. And I never said anything to him. My excuse was I was so young, I was so much younger than he was, and I loved that man. 
But looking back, I know I should have said something to him. You see, George really did love Jesus, and he really did love God's people, and he really cared about the lost. And if for some reason on that day, if everyone had have gotten out of their cars, he would have been out there among them looking for a way to share Jesus with them. But somehow he climbed behind the wheel of that car and he lost his testimony. See, we're to do everything we do in the name of Jesus. Now, ladies, I, I don't, I don't want to let you off too easy. <laughs> and you have your own quirks. So this afternoon, um, when you leave here, don't be smug with your husband. <laughs> Try to be understanding. And I'm not going to say much to you because you've probably gotten the point already. All I'm going to say is this. There have been times when I've talked with my wife or my daughter about some of the things that they go through with other women. And, uh, and all I could say at times like that was, I am glad I am not a woman. And there was a complete understanding. My wife and my daughter both said, yeah, right. Sometimes I wish I weren't too. We're not perfect. We are going to uh, make mistakes. We're not perfect. Not yet anyway. And so when we make mistakes, we need to admit it to ourselves. We need to confess it. We need to turn from it. We need to to make things right with others if we can. Our life group heard this story uh, Friday night um, about me after I graduated from seminary. Uh, I was looking for a church. Ann and I uh, bought a, a foreclosed house. It's the only home we have ever owned, and we never lived in it even for a single day. We, we needed so much work. We were in the process of renovating it when, when we got the call to our first uh, church in the Midwest. But during that time, there was a man who worked for me uh, named Carl, and he was over 50 years old, and he had spent much of his life in prison. And he had become a Muslim while he was in prison, which is quite common, I understand. And every day, though, he would come and we'd work on that house. And we lived in a rented house right across the street. And at lunchtime, he ate with Ann and our two little boys and myself in that house that we rented um, every day. And he knew I was a Christian and and we grew close. And... uh, one day when we were working, I, I was upstairs and he was downstairs, and maybe it was the other way around. I don't, I don't really remember, but I got frustrated with something uh, that I was working on, and I said something I shouldn't have, and I blurted it out. And I was just devastated. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I'm ashamed to even say it today. So I went up to where Carl was, and I told him what I did, and I apologized for it. <laughs> he hadn't heard it. <laughs> He hadn't heard it, but now he knew. And you know what? He was so nice to me about that. He understood. And then he thanked me for telling him. And he said something. I don't remember the exact words, but he said to me, he said, you know, now I know your faith is real. We're not perfect, but we know what to do when we blow it, don't we? Male or female, young or old, everything we do, we are to do in the name of Jesus Christ. And once again, we say a thankful spirit is part of that. It goes along with our witness. Giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ reminds us of all that he's done for us, even though we didn't deserve it. 
And that changes things when we remember, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Those for me. Thankfulness allows us to be at peace with one another. Thankfulness allows us to have the gospel dwell richly in us so we can encourage and help one another. Thankfulness enables us to live our lives in Jesus' name as his ambassador. So this holiday, I want you to enjoy it. (laughs) I want you to enjoy the turkey and the football and the nap. (laughs) Enjoy your family and your friends. You can even enjoy the shopping if you're thankful. But give thanks. Give thanks. Be thankful. Live for Christ. And have a happy Thanksgiving. Can I pray, please? Thank you, Lord, for the bounty that we know in this nation. Thank you for the gifts that we have been given. Every good thing, every perfect gift that we've ever known has come from you. We thank you, and we do so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.